Thanks, Brian and team. So I've never been so happy to hear clapping from such a smaller group of people and kind of scattered. And I don't know if you know how lame it is when 10 or fewer people clap. It's, it's not an experience of pure joy. So it is, it is great to have uh, at least four times that in the room today. And uh, it, it, the separation makes you want to clap, doesn't it? It makes you want to do certain things. I'm, I'm an extrovert, and, and I had the impulse before I came up here to ask everyone to move together so I could, I could like, be close to you. And then I remembered, oh, there's a pandemic. So we, that would be a bad idea. So um, as an extrovert, uh, I sometimes need people like Ken Phillips to remind me of the rules, but uh, so if I come come after you, wanting to hug you after the service, um, I don't know, run, run, run. <laughs> I did a few weeks ago. I high fived the worship team, and then I realized what a terrible sin I committed. So I had to anoint them with hand sanitizer. It was it was awkward, and then it was okay. So last week, uh, when we were a smaller group in here we saw Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, spending time with him. And we recognized our Martha problem, that we are anxious and upset about many things when only one thing is needed. And we're going to spend the next six weeks uh, with a break for Holy Week, for um, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter. We're going to spend the next six, six weeks before and after Easter finding our way to the feet of Jesus. We're going to hear invitation after invitation to put Christ at the center of our lives. And we're going to, in order to do that, we are going to reflect on the I am sayings of Jesus in the Gospel of John, which, which is one of the most remarkable series of windows into the identity of Jesus and the difference that Jesus makes that you'll find in the New Testament. And there are seven of these sayings. Uh, I am the bread of life is where we start today. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. And I am the good shepherd. We'll bring those two together. They're both in John chapter 10. I am the resurrection and the life, says Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. So we'll be covering all that ground. Today, we are focused on Jesus as the bread of life. Now, I don't have time to read the whole of John chapter 6, but you really need the first part to understand what follows. So I'm going to try to sum it up for you. The story starts with Jesus and a huge crowd. He was trying to get away from them, but they found him anyway. It was late in the day and they were far from any town. So Jesus asks Philip, one of his disciples, where are we going to get bread to feed all these people? And Philip says, are you kidding me? We don't have that kind of money. We can't buy bread for these people. And so Jesus takes five loaves and two fish from a little boy, and he feeds the crowd himself. Everyone eats, everyone is satisfied, and there are 12 baskets of food left over. And the crowd wants to make Jesus king. Now everyone's talking about how Jesus fed them in the wilderness, like Moses fed the people of Israel with manna in the desert. It was a sign of the Messiah. 
Was this the new Moses, they wondered. So they go to Jesus, and what do they say? They say, do it again. They're going to ask him, what sign will you give us? Having just had this incredible miracle, they go back to him and say, we need a sign. What will you do? Feed us. Do it again. Let's pray before we open our Bibles to John chapter 6. Lord, we join with the disciples who at the end of this chapter, when so many have abandoned you, are left asking, who else can we go to? Who else has the words of eternal life? Lord, I pray that we would come today to the ministry of the Word, to the reading of Scripture, expecting words of eternal life. Would you plant them deep within us and give us the fruitful life that you want us to have? We ask in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So we're going to read John chapter 6, verses 25 to 40. When they found Jesus on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the work God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven to do my will, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. This is the word of the Lord. I got a big stupid smile on my face because I've had to say that second part for far too long, and we are very thankful for God's word and that we are together again on the road to togetherness, at least. 
So you know one thing I've been missing since the start of the pandemic? Going to a restaurant. I mean, there have been moments where we've been able to do it, but for the most part, it hasn't been possible. Now, of course, we've been able to get takeout the whole time, but it's not the same. For one thing, there is no buffet option with takeout, and I do rather enjoy a good buffet. Now, the Japanese equivalent of buffet is all-you-can-eat, at least the North American Japanese equivalent. My wife, who was born in Japan, would point out quickly. And the best place around here you can go for Japanese all-you-can-eat is Kenkaku Izakaya in Kitchener. And it has been 18 months since I had that pleasure. Can I get a bit of sympathy? Thank you. Oh, that, that's so nice. The camera never did that for me. I feel the warmth. I remember one time being at Kinkaku Izakaya, and a guy came in at the end of lunchtime, and he got a good-sized table to himself, because the, the crowd had thinned out, and he just started ordering stuff, as you can, when it's all you can eat. And pretty soon he was surrounded by plates of food, and he started taking selfies of himself with the food. And I remember he had this look of gleeful euphoria on his face. It was like he'd gone into an ecstatic, all-you-can-eat trance or something. And I remember thinking, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. But of course, I was. We all are. We love to have our pleasures and our treasures piled up around us. Whether it's food or family, technology or travel, sports or shopping, we've got plans. And these are all good things. They're gifts from the Lord, but at times, they can distract us from what is the best thing of all. Blaise Pascal describes our situation well. He says that we run heedlessly into the abyss after putting things in front of us so we don't have to see it. All this anxiety we're feeling, and we say it's because of the pandemic. Well, the truth is, the anxiety has been there the whole time, long before any of this, as long as anyone can remember. But COVID has stripped away many of the pleasures and distractions in our lives and revealed what Pascal calls the abyss. I think Jesus would want to say to us, is saying to us, pay attention to what you're missing. Trace where your hunger leads you, whether it's hunger for a special meal in a restaurant, or longing for something else, longing for things to get back to normal. Because our empty lives right now, to the extent that they are empty of certain things, can point us to the deeper spiritual emptiness that we feel when we're honest, when we're listening to our hearts and our souls. And that, I think, is the abyss that Pascal talks about. We try to fill it up in so many different ways. We try to fill ourselves up with what the world offers, and yet it never satisfies us. But in John chapter 6, Jesus tells us that he is the one, the only one, who can satisfy our ultimate hunger and fill us up the way that we need to be full. He says, I am the bread of life. So when the crowd tracks Jesus down across the lake, they have questions for him. What must we do, they ask. What, is God, what does God require of us? 
What sign can you give us that will make us believe in you? And then their final request, Lord, give us this bread always. It's the consumer approach to religion, and it's familiar to us because that's where all of us start. Our culture says, give me a taste of the spiritual or of God, but not too much. Sure, we'll make room for Jesus, but on the side, preferably, not too central, nothing that would interfere with our own plans. We know that we need something in our lives that... that There's a dissatisfaction that we can't seem to solve on our own. We want meaning, we want purpose, we want community, we want to know what's right, we want justice. And so we ask, what will you give me, Jesus, to make my life more fulfilling? And Jesus takes those questions. He doesn't dismiss them, he redirects them. He wants us to go deeper. He gently leads us beyond asking, what can you do for me, Jesus, to the big question he has for all of us. Who do you think I am? Who am I to you, is what Jesus is asking. And it's a question that he poses precisely because it leads us to draw near to him, to enter into relationship with him, to wrestle with him, if we take it seriously, if we're willing to seek the answers. Only as we search for the truth about Christ, for who he truly is, only as we encounter him in his identity, not as we would have it be, but as scripture makes clear it is, and as the Holy Spirit seals that on us, only then will we have a living and true faith in him, a faith a new life that changes everything. So at the end of their discussion, Jesus simply tells the crowd, I am the bread of life. And as he does that, he answers three questions. The first one is, what are we looking for? The second is, who is he? Who is Jesus? And the third is, how can we respond? What are we looking for? Let's start there. Jesus compares himself and the bread that he provides to manna, the kind of manna the Israelites ate when Moses was their leader, when they wandered in the desert for 40 years. Now, manna left you hungry for more manna the next day. Yes, it was miraculous and a sign of God's goodness and provision, but Jesus offers a contrast and says, how much more can I do for you? I am going to give you living bread, bread that doesn't just satisfy you for a day, bread that you don't actually have to come back and get more of, get seconds and thirds and so on, but bread that can satisfy you for a lifetime, for eternity even. And that's where our hunger really leads us ultimately for willing to follow the trail. We're not satisfied, we're not happy with what we've got. Pascal, once again, says it so well. He asks, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness, of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are. 
right? We're always looking for something else we don't yet have. Though none of these things can help, since this infinite abyss, bear with the abyss again, this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and unchanging object. In other words, by God himself. The crowds who followed Jesus were looking for one thing, but Jesus offers something else. Actually, not something, but someone. The people assume they need something material, and at a certain level, they did. Something material like food. They also assumed they had to do something to work in order to get it. Jesus did offer them bread supernaturally in the form of a miracle when he multiplied the loaves and fish. And it's important that we start there. But what he offered most of all, and later in this chapter, was himself. He was the manna from heaven. He was the bread. Jesus is not only the bread, but also and specifically the bread of life, or Maybe an even better translation is the bread of the life. Bios and zoe are two Greek words for life. Bios is natural life. We get our word biological from it or biography. Where zoe is quality of life. You can think of zoe as a life full of meaning and fruitfulness and joy. Even though actual bread is obviously linked to bios, to physical life, Jesus connects the bread that he offers to Zoe when he says that he is the bread of life. Zoe is the kind of thing that makes life worth living. One way you could think of this is to compare the experience of a Zoom call with what it's like to meet with people in person. Even people in a big room like this at a distance, people who are clapping, some of them a little offbeat. Is it not better than a Zoom call? Yeah, of course you're gonna say that, you're here, right? <laughs> but I think we can agree, especially those of us who are on Zoom calls all day long and suffering from what's come to be called Zoom fatigue, we can agree that there is really no comparison be between the experience of meeting with someone through a screen and, and, okay, imagine a Zoom call with a stranger. There's communication that can happen. That's bios. But Zoe would be being in the same room and able to be physically close even to hug someone you love, someone with whom you feel completely at ease, someone who just by their body language gives you joy and comfort and a sense of well-being. What a difference. The one is functional. Words can be exchanged. The other is life and life abundant. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he's offering not merely eternal existence, but eternal zoe, a rich, abundant, and ultimate life. Jesus says, don't work for food that only has bios, but for food that has zoe. He says that only he can satisfy our craving 
for Zoe life, for ultimate life, abundant life. And that leads to the next question. Not what are you looking for, but who? Who is Jesus? How can he make an offer like this? How could he say that he had something to offer greater than any other religious leader or teacher? Well, there was only one explanation, and his followers have yet to connect those dots. And that explanation is that he was even greater than Moses. But beyond that, that he had a relationship to God that was unique, that he is the Son of God. And so six times in this chapter, he says that he has come down from heaven, and he talks about his Father, who is giving us the true bread from heaven. He tells us the bread of God, which comes down from heaven, gives life to the world, and that he is that life. He is the bread of life. The question, who is Jesus, is directly related to what Jesus can do, how he can live a perfect life as my example and model, how he can claim to speak for his Father, the Lord and creator of the universe, how he can bear my sin on the cross as my Savior, and how he can meet me at the deepest level of my humanity. He is fully human and also fully God. And this is the uniqueness of Christian faith. Jesus came down from heaven and became fully human so he could enter into our brokenness, our vulnerability, and our sinful world. But at the same time, he was fully God in that he alone can promise to raise us up at the last day because he has overcome sin and death, and he is the source of our salvation. And all the people in the room said... The gospel says you are more sinful and flawed than you, than you ever dared believe, but more accepted and loved than you ever dared hope. That is the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. And it comes through so clearly when they ask him what they have to do, what work they have to put in to get this. And he answers them, the work of God is this to believe in the one he has sent. And they were asking him for works. What works do we have to do? He says, no, one thing. Makes you think of Martha and Mary, doesn't it? One thing. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Jesus is grace, and we have only to trust him. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. And yet, the hardest thing a struggle like few other struggles, which leads to the next question. How can we respond? Having described himself as the bread of life and focused on his relationship with his Father, Jesus again says, I am the bread of life in verse 48. And then he urges us to eat that bread. And here I'm going to read a longer section verses 53 to 56, where Jesus makes it very clear what's at stake. He says, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, 
and I in them. Jesus is saying quite simply that this is a matter of life and death for us. Now, eating is not something that can be ignored in the material realm when it comes to our literal bread, but especially it cannot be ignored when it comes to spiritual nutrition, spiritual eating. The bread is given as a gift. At the same time, Jesus presses home the need for a response here. I think most of all, through all of this, he wants us to identify with him. What does he mean by eating the bread and eating his body and drinking his blood? Four times here he talks about that. And these are deliberately strong statements. They, they don't have the effect on us they would have had on the original audience for them. It's almost like they're calculated to offend the Jewish listeners that day. Because for them, the drinking of blood was forbidden, even an atrocity against God's law. Now, for those of us who are Christians, this is a clear reference to the Lord's Supper. As Protestant Christians, we sometimes risk domesticating communion when we treat it only as a memorial or as a remembrance. We have a lot to learn from our Catholic and Orthodox brothers and sisters. Jesus drives home the importance, even the shocking reality of eating and drinking of him by using a verb for eat that was used to describe how animals ate and adding the drink my blood part to it, which signified the death he was going to die, the violence and brutality of that. It's as if he knew that 2,000 years later, we'd be tempted to try to take the disturbing stuff out of the Bible, that we'd want to avoid it, that we'd rather just focus on the love of God and not on the cost of his sacrifice. Communion, when we can celebrate it, always brings the focus back to Christ and his cross, which brings life, this ultimate Zoe life we've been talking about. It's been almost exactly one year since we were able to gather freely, all of us, with no restrictions here in this room. And on that Sunday, March the 8th, we did celebrate the Lord's Supper. We lament that separation, and I think the joy in this room today speaks volumes about that. And we long for the day when we can all be together again, when we can celebrate communion, among other things. Today is a sign of hope on that journey, and we know that day is coming. The physicality of the strong, even brutal language that Jesus uses here to describe communion, ultimately, is, is a reminder to us that the Lord's Supper is meant to be in person and together as Paul makes really clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And it's on that basis that we are not holding communion services while we cannot gather together as one church. And I recently wrote a letter explaining that to the congregation, and you may have gotten a copy. If you didn't, let me know. I'd be happy to share that with you. This passage makes it clear that our worship should include both word and sacrament. But 
We are not starving after a year without communion. Jesus challenges his listeners, and in the end, many of them leave. Many of them abandon him. They find this too weird, too hard. Jesus does the opposite of what you should do these days if you're going to start a church or a religious movement. Uh, you, maybe some of the hard stuff you say to the dedicated band of followers you have at the beginning, and then at the end, hit them with a feeding of the 5,000 miracle baby. That is the church growth you're going to want. He reverses that, and we don't really know why, except that his truth will be revealed, and it's not what we want to hear. He tells us in verse 63 that his message is not primarily physical. It's as if once all the, the other people have abandoned him, he's clarifying that the strong language he used to describe feeding on him was symbolic, true and important, but also not to be taken literally. He says the spirit gives flesh, sorry, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and of life. His word comes first, and we will always have his word, and so we will always have him. The key point that Jesus makes here is that whoever eats this bread in word and sacrament is identified with him as he is with the Father. I think Brian prayed that earlier in the prayer of confession, that Jesus is the way for us to come close to the Father, to enter the holiest place, his glory, his presence. When we eat this bread, the bread of life, through Jesus Christ, we participate in his life and death. We are united to him in a way that is a profound mystery, but through which his grace fills us and we receive his goodness. We often see our happiness wrapped up in what we have, in our plans for the future and whether they're going well, in how much bread we possess, our wealth, the pleasures we can enjoy, things like restaurants and travel. But the truth is that we don't know what we need in the end. This is a matter of life and death beyond the surface appearance of life. What does God require of us? To believe in the one that he has sent, to trust in Jesus, to surrender our ambitions, our plans, to the one who can satisfy us like no other, who can completely meet all of our needs, and who is faithful to do that, and who even promises to lead us into eternal life. I am the bread of life, says Jesus. Come to me, and I will fill you up. Amen. Let's pray. Maybe in the silence now, we can offer up our own prayer, our own version of what they said to Jesus. They said, Jesus, give us this bread always. Let's take a moment of silent, silence to echo that prayer. And if you're not at a place of trusting in Jesus yet, ask God to show you what is so good about this bread.
Lord Jesus, give us this bread, the bread of life. Give us yourself always. Amen.